What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk, presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I am your host, Bob. I'm hanging out, talking my favorite hometown Cleveland sports, as always, with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's up, man? Bob, you know there's no overtime pay on your birthday, right? It's not a federal holiday, so Clee Talk's not going to be reimbursing you anything additional for working on your birthday? Yeah, I I mean... uh, overtime pay or no overtime pay i'm gonna get paid the same amount for doing this podcast um coincidentally i did have to go into work today on my off day also on my birthday but that's another story a working man (laughs) here seriously though happy birthday bob for all you listeners out here today's bob's birthday so thank you I, i appreciate that and it's good seeing you over this weekend as we uh saw our sister get married as well yeah man a lot of congratulations to go around big weekend for the fam uh, so, uh, Bob, as, as our listeners know, Bob, you got married earlier this year and now, now our sister's gotten married, uh, to a great guy. So, uh, congratulations to Melissa and Charles too. All right, Chris. Well, enough of the happy talk. Let's dive into, uh, what has been a disappointing start for the Cleveland Browns losing to the Indianapolis Colts 31 to 28 in Indianapolis, uh, the Colts starting, Uh, Jacoby Brissett in place of an injured Andrew Luck. Uh, Chris, we we thought that the Browns had a a chance to win this game, and they certainly came close, obviously, uh, coming within a field goal, though uh, two late uh, touchdowns made the the final score closer than probably what it it actually was during the game. Uh, Just, Chris, how disappointing is it that the, the Browns didn't weren't able to get the first win of the season against a Colts team that didn't have their best player in Andrew Luck. Extremely disappointing. Um, look, I know you're playing Indianapolis on the road, and and, and I and let's not discount Indianapolis. We said last week they had played Arizona to overtime, and the Arizona Cardinals are a much better team than the Cleveland Browns. I, I know Arizona's off to a slow start by their standards, but you know they've got Carson Palmer, Larry Fitzgerald. They've got some much better weapons on uh, offense than Cleveland does. So for the Colts to have played them the overtime in their place, I think that was a wake-up call to Browns fans that this wasn't going to be the checkmark win that you and I had thought in the preseason and even after week one. But it's still very disappointing. Look, the Indianapolis Colts, I don't care what you say about Jacoby Brissett, who has played very well for them the last two weeks, um, they're not the same team without Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck makes them a playoff caliber team. Without him, I don't think that they're a playoff caliber team. Now, maybe they'll get there because they're not in a very tough division. But the point is, this is the kind of team that you could see a step forward against. You know, Bob, you can understand being overmatched against Baltimore in Baltimore. You can understand a three-point moral victory in a loss to Pittsburgh But this is a game that if you want to take the next step, if you're trying to sell me on a process, sell me on a three, four-year plan, this is the kind of game I want to see a young team step up and win because the Indianapolis Colts without Andrew Luck are a team that they could beat. And uh, I don't ever want to use the word should with this team uh, for obvious reasons. They're only three. Uh, But yes, extremely disappointing to see them lose this game. Yeah, I mean, not only lose it but uh the way they played in in the first half in particular giving up 28 points over 260 yards on defense uh i know still no miles garrett so you don't have that pass rush uh and jamie collins probably your 
your best all-around player on defense was also inactive for this game. But on the flip side, the Colts didn't have Andrew Luck and they didn't have Ryan Kelly, uh, their starting center. So uh, it should have been advantage Browns, especially the way that they played tough and, and held the Steelers and Ravens offenses in check. I was expecting more. Jacoby Brissett threw for over 200 yards in, in that first half. Now they, they righted the ship in the second half, only letting up three points and letting their offense get them back in the game. But uh, this it's really not not an excuse i mean I, the browns yes have plenty of reasons to give excuses most notably uh, all, all the rookies and second year players they have on this team but uh, not not against the, this team uh, after the way they played in, in the past two games i was expecting more out of them um that being said that the offense uh, did not help uh, as well there, there was no real running game from the browns for a third straight week and Deshaun Kaiser, three interceptions. That brings his season total to seven interceptions already. Uh, Chris, w- w- evaluate Deshaun Kaiser's performance uh, against the Colts. Uh, not good. Um, you said it right there. Three interceptions, uh, 22 of 47 completion, 242 yards. Uh, bottom line, that's just not going to get it done. Uh, then you look over at the other side in Jacoby Brissett. Yardage-wise, very similar. Only one touchdown, zero interceptions, and he still got sacked three times. Kaiser only got sacked once this game. So, you know, I, I don't want to hear the, the pass rush and whatnot. I mean, he only got sacked once. Uh, but the difference here is Indianapolis ran Frank Gore 25 times. 36 rushing attempts to 24 passes. You look over at the Browns. They have this offensive line that supposedly improved. You got a good running back in Isaiah Crowell, and Kaiser throws the ball 47 times compared to Crowell's 12 touches as a runner. I mean, that that's just not going to get it done, man. That's not going to get it done. This is not a team that can rely on the pass. The, the weapons in the passing game are, are not great. They are young. They are raw. They need something to offset their inexperience and to get the give them give them some room to operate and ease. Uh, just just ease the way that they can operate against defenses. I, and I understand the Colts went up 28-14 to 14 at halftime. But that's not abandoned the run level yet. I mean, it was only 7-0 after the first quarter. The Browns did score 14 points in the second quarter. The game never really got super out of hand. I don't understand why Isaiah Crowell only ran the ball 12 times. I don't understand why the balls were only, excuse me, the Browns were only running the ball 21 times. I mean, I, I get it. Deshaun Kaiser, not a good performance, but but you can't ask him to throw the ball 47 times at this point in his career. That's the kind of level thing you can ask Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, elite level quarterbacks to do: give them the ball and let them go win a game. Kaiser's not there yet, and he and he's got a long way to go. You got to help him out with some running, and Isaiah Crowell is just not seeing the ball enough. No, definitely not, and that's coming off of you know uh, a report that Crowell and Hugh Jackson had a conversation about getting more touches uh, for this Week Three game. Uh, really disappointing to see him not uh, get that kind of production that that they were talking about uh, early in the season. You know, through three games, Chris Crowell only thirty nine attempts, one hundred fourteen yards, and a two point nine yards per carry average for him. That's extremely disappointing. That looks like that that could be uh i mean maybe not 39 attempts but that that sounds and reads like uh one game's worth of output from a starting running back especially uh the highest paid offensive line in, in the entire NFL 
is the Browns offensive line. And this was a highly rated unit heading into the season. Now, uh, yes, only giving up one sack to, to your rookie quarterback. That's great, especially considering where they came from week one against Pittsburgh. But the, this offensive line unit has not been able to open up holes for Crowell when given the ball. Uh, I he he saw some daylight during this this uh, week three matchup. You know, twelve carries for about forty four yards. That's not overall impressive, but it's much better than uh, the, what he averaged against the Ravens and Steelers. Uh, it's perplexing that uh, Hugh Jackson and this Browns offense is so shy from from sticking to the run considering the the depleted uh, weapons that Deshaun Kaiser has around him and uh, the fact that it's Deshaun Kaiser's third game uh, total. I mean, seven interceptions in his first three career games, that's not exactly a confidence booster for him. Yeah, and, and what did we talk about last week, Bob? Google LeGarrette Blunt Indianapolis Colts. I mean, the Colts' defense is so susceptible to the run. It is perplexing that Isaiah Crowell only got 12 touches as a runner now a couple of the bright spot I thought was Duke Johnson six catches 81 yards uh, a very strong game from him uh, trying to get that third down running back you know their third down kind of pass catching running back going uh, but but Kenny Britt I know he had 54 yards and a touchdown but he only caught three of 10 targets I mean you're targeting this guy 10 times he is the guy that you're paying to be your number one receiver you got to see him make a few more plays than just three catches especially when he's getting a high volume of targets Uh, right now I mean it's good to see him statistically yardage wise have an okay game but you got to catch more than three of 10 targets yeah, for sure. Kenny Britt, definitely a disappointment on the offensive side, as has Corey Coleman. That's your one and two wide receivers. Coleman obviously being out with, with a broken hand, and then Britt just being a, a virtual no-show for the first two games, finally getting involved. But yeah, you gotta you have to have a higher reception rate than that if you're getting thrown 10 balls during the game. You're a, a big-bodied wide receiver. I, I understand a rookie's throwing you the ball, but you were brought in to be a sure hand uh, in, uh, in the wide receiver core. Uh, Duke Johnson, yeah, he's doing everything that's expected of him. He's not going to be your feature back. He lines up at wide receiver a lot when Crowell is that feature back, and he's your third down back for passing situations. Uh, through three games, Chris, Duke Johnson's the most targeted wide receiver, leads uh, all Browns in receptions, targets, and yards. So, I mean, he's he's getting you production exactly what you expected from your third down back. Uh, you would like your wide receivers to have more production. you like Isaiah Crowell to uh, have a lot more uh, yards on the ground than, than uh, 114 to 87, or excuse me, 114 to, to 44 uh, Crowell to, to Juke Johnson. Um, yeah, John, Johnson's a lone bright spot for sure in, in the offensive unit. Uh, I will say David Njoku as well, not getting a high volume of targets, but two touchdowns through his f- the first three games. That's the first-round draft pick uh, that is getting you production. That That's refreshing to see uh, on the offensive side. Yeah, Njoku in the red zone, zone is starting to become a reliable target. Like you said, not a high volume. He only had four targets, but he caught two of them, one of them for a score. Uh, so it's good to see that him and Kaiser starting to get kind of a rapport in the red zone because that's obviously where your tight ends are going to be having a huge impact. But Bob, just overall, this offense, there, there's so much to be desired. And, and, and I think, you know, part of me, yeah, they're young. Yeah, they don't, quote unquote, have a lot of weapons. 
But they have a good offensive line and a really good running back in Crowell. And I mean, at this point, it's starting. You got to ask the question whether or not the game plan is up to par. Because I, I, especially against Indianapolis, who's so susceptible against the run, why are the Browns not running the ball more than 21 times? Why are the Colts running the ball 36 times and the Browns not getting up there? I'm not saying all those have to go to Crowell. But Crowell should have gotten double the touches he got, and you need to run the ball more against a team that that has shown. for. And it's not just a one-year thing. The Colts have been terrible against the runs for decades now, and you don't run the ball, barely run the ball 20 times. Take away Deshaun Kaiser's seven carries. Running backs only touched the ball 14 times. That That's just not going to get it done. No, definitely not, and, and I, I agree with you. I think a lot of that lies upon Hugh Jackson who who is calling the plays drawing up the schemes for the offense uh, for whatever reason he's just shy from, from running the ball I will give Hugh Jackson a little bit of credit he did a, a little bit of unorthodox game management uh, to close out this game calling three consecutive timeouts with about nine minutes to go in, in the fourth quarter and the Browns down 17 points uh, it, it was a little bit odd to see him do that but the Colts were pinned back they got good field position and marched down and scored their first touchdown, kind of re-energizing the, the Browns on, on both sides of the ball. And, you know, they got the ball back and had a chance to drive it down the field to kick a, a, a game-tying field goal. Kaiser ended up getting that ball intercepted. But, uh, you know, that call panned out for for Hugh Jackson, but they shouldn't have been uh, in a 17 deficit to begin with, considering how this game played out. Uh, disappointing all around. Any bright spots on the defensive side? Hard to point to a bright spot on the defensive side, really. I mean, this is, I think, the worst game that the defense had. You had Frank Gore. I know Frank Gore only averaged 2.3 yards per carry. The Colts' running game, I mean, high volume, but they didn't do a lot. So I guess there's kind of a bright spot that the front seven stepped up and at least took that away. But when T.Y. Hilton catches seven passes for 153 yards on nine targets, I mean, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, they gave up a 61-yard pass to T.Y. Hilton. Uh, I, no, I, I I would say that this is probably the one of the weakest game they played, just because the quality of opponent. You expect more. I didn't think they'd give up 31 points. I thought this would be a little lower scoring because I did think the Browns' defense would travel and give the Colts some problems. Uh, so so I, I think, yeah, it, it was a letdown game for the defense. Yeah, definitely a, a letdown. I, I think you touched upon the, the one bright spot is that uh, the Browns' run defense was strong uh, against the Colts, and I, I give a lot of credit to Danny Shelton and Jamie Matter in, in the middle of that defensive line, clogging up the holes and, and letting uh, the linebackers come in and make some tackles at the line of scrimmage and behind. I mean, Frank Gore got tackled behind the line of scrimmage multiple times during this game. Uh, so they stepped up, uh, unfortunately, against an uh, inexperienced quarterback and uh, not the the most dangerous uh, wide receivers, though T.Y. Hilton certainly is a, is a dangerous deep threat. Uh, the Browns' secondary was uh, very disappointing. Colts also have Barkevius Mingo, Jabal Sheard, and Pierre Dicer, <laughs> all former Browns. I'm not sure if that's a good thing to have that many former Browns on your team. Uh, no, probably not. Probably not. Though Javal Sheard is, is a very good player. Uh, he was a very key contributor in New England the last couple of years. So um, uh, certainly that's one you want to have. But the other guys, uh, yeah, I, I, they, they, they kind of left Cleveland uh, with a lot to be desired. For sure. Is there anything the Browns can do uh, 
from week three to week four that they can improve any of the the number of problems that they have well for starters they better learn how to cover soon because aj green is a much uh, more dynamic threat than ty hilton not that ty hilton isn't an excellent receiver but uh, you're about to step up to one of the three best receivers in the game and uh, cincinnati i know that they haven't won yet but they almost beat Green Bay. They, they played Green Bay tough in Lambeau. That is a very tough place to play. And Cincinnati has looked in disarray the first two weeks, but but they almost pulled off a big upset up in Lambeau uh, last weekend. So, again, let's you can't sleep on these guys. I mean, the Colts, everyone thought, easy win, no Andrew Luck. They played Arizona tough, and now... You know, I mean, you, you, you can't you can't take anything for granted when you're when you're at this stage in your development and you're the Cleveland Browns. So this is not going to be an easy game for Cleveland. I don't care if it's at home or not. Uh, Cincinnati has a lot of talent, um, but but we're going to start right there. You, you can't you can't let AJ Green go wild. Miles Garrett, if he if he gets on the field, that'll help the defense a little bit more. But but looking to the offensive side, Bob, we've said it over and over and over again: run the ball. And this front, it's going to be a little harder to run the ball because the Cincinnati Bengals defense is a little more ferocious than than the Indianapolis Colts up front. But you got to give the offense, you know, some semblance of balance when you don't have a go-to receiver like T.Y. Hilton or A.J. Green. They don't have a guy of that caliber in the passing game, so you've got to give your offense something to hang its hat on. And, and right now, it, it, the, the logical place is the running game. Strong offensive line. you got to back in Isaiah Crowell, who's shown he can be a, a featured back in this league. Uh, they got to give him the ball, and they've got to try to balance things out and help out that passing game. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, the Browns' offensive line, I think, through three games ha- has underperformed and they're, they're still healthy. Uh, they, they are still very talented. I think that they uh, will only improve, and, and those holes will start to open up for Isaiah Crowell, who has proven uh, in his career that he's able to find them and uh, get production uh, on the ground game. I agree with you. They have to devote more uh, touches and, and carries to Isaiah Crowell and just the running game in general, take that pressure off of Deshaun Kaiser, and yeah, I mean, A.J. Green, despite the Bengals' struggles uh, for the first three games, ha- has looked every bit as dominant a wide receiver. And that game against Green Bay, 10 catches for 111 yards and a touchdown. Andy Dalton, off to a horrific start, uh, looked pretty decent uh, against the Packers, 21 for 27. So the Bengals look to be getting better and improving uh, from the, their, their tough start uh, against Baltimore and Houston. So that's not good news. I mean, the only thing you can hope for Chris is just that these young guys are, are, are learning week over week and improving the only uh, tangible additions that the Browns are going to get back are, are Jamie Collins and Miles Garrett uh, they're kind of day to day right now we're not sure if we'll have them back but it, that'll be a boost I mean the defense has been uh, up until week three performing relatively well and add that pass rush and add your leader uh, your leading linebacker back uh, that 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 could help. Um, I don't know if it's going to be enough to beat the Bengals now at this point. Uh, Chris, we, we highlighted uh, the Bengals as a, a possible victory for for the Browns, especially at home. Based off what you've seen through the first three games, it, are you still sticking to that? The the Browns have a chance against the Cincinnati Bengals. Do they have a chance? Yes. I do think they could win this game. I'm not going to write off the Browns. Let's not forget that that even though the Colts game was bad, look, Bob, they could be 3-0. 
Cleveland was not down and out in any of their games. I know the Colts game got a little out of hand, but but they pulled back. They only lost by three twice. They lost by 10 on the road in Baltimore. They have not been down and out in any games. I, I think that is an encouraging sign for a young team. But... Cincinnati has a ton of talent. They're only two years removed from being to the playoffs five straight years. They've got Andy Dalton, who's proven he can get his team to the playoffs, who's proven he can win a division. They have one of the best receivers in the NFL. I mean, I'm not going to say that they're definitely going to win. They, they, I do think they could beat the Bengals, but they're going to have to play a lot better than they did against the Colts. If they play the way they did against the Steelers, minus the block punt, I think they definitely beat the Bengals. But if they play the way they did against the Colts, uh, no, they're not going to beat the Bengals. So I, 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 right now, I'm going to pick the Bengals. I'm going to say Cincinnati's going to win. But I certainly think Cleveland could win this game. Yeah, they, I'll give them a chance. I, I'm not going to pick them. I, I don't think they should be favorited now uh, based off of how they performed against the Colts and how the Bengals performed against the Packers. I mean, this is a, a matchup of, of two 0-3 teams. So I you know, so, something will give someone. Someone will come out with with a victory. Uh, I don't think it'll be the Browns, uh, Chris. If that holds true, Browns are zero and four. Hugh Jackson and his coaching regime are, are now heading towards a, a second season of everybody wondering when they'll just get their first win. Are you worried for for any of the the staff's jobs uh, in the long term? Well, anytime you only win one out of 19 games, uh, that's that's not a recipe for job security. Um, look, when Jimmy Haslam hired this regime, patience was a, a overriding theme. You know, he's, he's had a lot of regime changes in his short tenure as owner. Um, but this was supposed to be different. Well, if it truly is different, then we, then we do have to give this regime a chance. Now, am I impressed so far no do I understand that last year was kind of a mulligan yes but what's concerning me is that the development of these young players were I'm not seeing the eye-popping can't miss star develop you know the first year the Bengals drafted Andy Dalton and AJ Green and immediately you started to see something tangible. Now, I get that's a bit of an extreme example because they got all the way to the playoffs, but you still started to see something tangible. I haven't seen much of that, and I'm getting worried. I'm hanging my hat on the fact that they were in every game, and if they are still in this game against Cincinnati, then, then at least they're progressing. But, Bob, you can't keep losing and expect to keep your job. I mean, that's just the cold, hard reality. Whatever's said on hiring day changes when you lose, if you were to lose 19 out of 20 games. And and I'm not advocating for them to be fired. I don't think that's the answer. I think you need stability. I think you need to give a regime an honest three years to try to pull this team out of the gutter. But Bob, if they they have another year like they did last year, I I would not feel safe at all if I were involved with the Browns um, front office or or coaching staff. I I certainly, how could you? I mean, if if we're talking another 13-14 loss season, um, you know, that that is not something that's going to, you know, give Jimmy Haslam confidence going forward. Yeah, I think it comes down to how how they lose those games. Obviously, you know, when the season started and even now 
you know, nothing has changed really. I mean, we've adjusted our outlook by maybe one or two games. We were still projecting them to win or to, or to lose uh, at least double digits this season. Um, if they keep playing close like this, they'll eventually win some games. I mean, you, you have to. I mean, there there were tangible moments where you could say, all right, that's where the Browns lost the game, the blocked punt against the Steelers, uh, some of the interceptions by Deshaun Kaiser uh, against the Colts. I mean, they're, they're staying competitive, and that's more than we could say last year uh, with the 1-15 uh, record that they finished with. Uh, but still, uh, every, anytime you lose, this is a quick trigger league. Uh, you got to be worried if you're the coaching staff and Hugh Jackson on what kind of arrangement he had and understood uh, with the Browns staff when he was hired, whether it was a two-year or three-year program. Uh, you and I have said consistently that we think it's three years, but we've seen coaches promise long leashes and then get axed in less than a season. So uh, we, we will have to see as long as they stay competitive. I think Hugh Jackson's job is safe. Uh, I don't think his job as head coach and offensive coordinator is safe. I think changes will be made. Uh, that might be one of them, but I think long-term, unless there's a massive meltdown where the Browns are just getting steamrolled up and down the field for the next uh, 13 games, I, I do want to say that Hugh Jackson's job is safe. Yeah, and, and let's also, you, you raised a good point, Bob. It's not like we projected this team for 10-11 wins in the preseason, okay? I, I think the best-case scenario was 6-10 and 10 that I saw. It's not like we're the Cincinnati Bengals who had aspirations of returning to the playoffs for the sixth time in seven years. I think the people involved in Cincinnati are on a much hotter seat after an 0-3 start than the people in Cleveland because... Realistically speaking, I don't think anyone should have expected this team to contend for a playoff spot or an 8-8 record. I think an 8-8 record would have been a huge success. And there's still 13 games for them to pile up some wins and get to that 4-5 win projection that was there. And if they do that, then what can you say? I mean, that's what you expected. You had a very young team, young quarterback, raw offensive weapons. That's what you're going to get. But, Bob, I agree with you. They have to be competitive in the games they lose, like they have been. And they've got to win m- many more games than they did last year. You know, They can't just win three games. I mean, they've got to show improvement in the win column and get to around five. I, I really think that if they're in that two to four range, I, I-, I would be worried. And-, and-, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope that they are competitive and, and get a third year, but Bob, if you put another, if you go 14, 13 losses, I, I don't know if Jimmy Haslam would be satisfied with that, even in even if he understood that the max was only going to be six wins. Yeah, I, I again, I mean, owners have quick triggers, uh, and I, I think it just depends how they lose those games. I do think just from every decision we've seen made, the Browns staff has operated with some confidence that they'll be back for a third year because uh, given all the cuts to veterans and the perplexing trades from, you know, even buying a draft pick for Dr- Brock Osweiler's contract, uh, this this group is making moves under some confidence that they will be around next year. And, and that's uh, really all I can hope to, to cling to at this point. Well, and even cutting Brock Osweiler, because let's be real, if you're a team trying to win Brock Osweiler's won in the NFL. That's a guy that you keep on the team if you feel your job's on the line. You don't you don't go with three quarterbacks who haven't won a game in this league. Yeah. True. Uh, yeah. So, Chris, uh, 
what just what, what's the prediction for week four? Uh, officially week four, a lot of fans will leave happy because everyone's getting a Cedar Point ticket if you showed up to the Browns game. That is how far the mighty have fallen. But I think other than that, the fans will leave disappointed. I, I do think the Bengals will win the game. Yeah, likewise. I, I think it'll be close. I don't think the Bengals are that dominant, but I, I think the Browns are going to lose this one. It's going to be a long season. Certainly a long season. Yeah. That Cedar Point ticket, man, that's like a $50 value. So, hey. Yeah, man, if you get a good cheap Browns ticket, you you might you might come out ahead. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, let's turn to some winning sports here. Cleveland Indians uh, set to start their second of last series against the Minnesota Twins uh, later this week, and then they'll close out their final three games of the season against the Chicago White Sox ending the season uh, this coming Sunday, October 1st. Chris, looking at the standings right now, Indians are 98-58. and 58. That's good for best record in the American League by a comfortable couple game lead against the Astros and one game back from the LA Dodgers. Uh, Chris, what are the chances that the Indians one get to hundred wins and two uh, catch the Dodgers for the best record in the MLB? I think both chances are very high. I, I think they have it. Well, first off, they have an excellent chance at getting a hundred wins. All they got to do is go two and four. I think that will happen given the quality of the opponents they'll be playing, especially the White Sox who have been punting for the last month. The Twins are still kind of fighting for that last wild card spot, but they're about five games up. I think one or two wins and they're in too. So I do. I think the Indians are going to win two more games and get to 100, which will be fantastic. Now, catching the Dodgers, that's not something they control 100%. But if they go four and two this week, uh, that might not. I mean, that might not be enough because the Dodgers would then have to go two and four, which with the way they played, certainly doable. Um, and the Indians have shown that they could definitely go 5-1. and one. I mean, they've been on a roll. A one-game losing streak feels like a, a huge drought for them. I think if the Indians turn another 5-1 and one week, I think that's what it's going to take because I think the Dodgers could easily go 3-3. Three and three. So I think there's a good chance the Indians get the number one seed overall, but, but an excellent chance that they at least win 100 games. Yeah, I'd be disappointed if they don't win 100 games. Just, I mean, go 2-4 go and, and and you're there. Uh, catching the Dodgers, I think it's possible. Obviously, I don't think it's urgent uh, for them to do securing that that best record in the American League uh, would would be more important. And they have a couple games to spare to do so against a Houston Astros team that has been playing really well. Chris Indians only two losses in the month of September. Uh, just continue to to dominate. I mean, they won the series against Seattle. They surprisingly lost a game against them, sweeping the Angels. But prior to that and then winning a four-game series against Kansas City 3-1. to one. I mean, truly dominant. Jose Ramirez, I know we did a little MVP debate, but he's closing in on 30 home runs, so he could finish with plus 50 doubles, plus 30 home runs, plus 15 stolen bases, and more than 100 runs scored. I know we talked about his MVP chances, but he continues to be red hot and solidifying his chance of taking home that hardware. No, certainly, and the other guy who's who's really doing 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 his all, everything he can to take home some big hardware too is Corey Kluber, flirting with twenty wins. I don't think he'll get to twenty; he won't have enough starts, but he could get to nineteen, which would be fantastic. Uh, tons of strikeouts, probably. If he gets another start, he could flirt with one seventy-five. Oh, excuse me, two seventy-five, maybe two seventy. So th- those are. If he gets another start and he wins. 
he's he's done everything he can a 19 win season um you know close to 270 strikeouts I mean those are certainly Cy Young numbers and, and he has just been the best pitcher in baseball for the better part of two months right now um so certainly if he gets another start that that could that could help cement it as well because he's just been unbelievable quite frankly yeah for sure I mean been truly dominant though as discussed uh in last week's podcast, Chris Sale went out and got 13 strikeouts in his next outing, so he he's well over 300 at this point. Um, it, it'll be interesting how that Cy Young pans out, but yeah, undoubtedly Corey Kluber has been the more dominant pitcher in the second half, uh, certainly deserving of finishing in that top two in the American League Cy Young race for sure. All right, Chris, some hopeful news uh, for the Cleveland Cavaliers, though. Dwayne Wade uh, agreeing to a buyout with the Chicago Bulls. Uh, he, he's given back about 10 to $8 million on the $24 million that was owed to him. Kind of insane that uh, 35-year-old Dwayne Wade was pulling in that kind of paycheck at this point in his career. But Chris Dwayne Wade's hitting the free agent market. Uh, Spurs, Thunder, and Cavs are, are rounding out a, a short list of names, possibly a Miami Heat reunion. Uh would you want Dwayne Wade on the Cavs, and what are the chances that he's going to come to Cleveland? Would I want him? Certainly. If he's not costing $24 million, I'd love it, because if he's on the Cavs, the only way he's getting on here is probably veterans minimum. Uh, but do I think he's coming? Uh, certainly LeBron James being on the team is a huge plus for anyone recruiting uh, Dwayne Wade. So obviously I think the Cavs are going to be high on his list. Uh, obviously I think Dwayne Wade looks at Cleveland and sees a team that can get back to the NBA Finals and get him another championship. So there's a plus right there too. And and I do think going to an Eastern Conference team is a lot easier getting there than going through the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference. And now that the Oklahoma City Thunder have added Carmelo Anthony, something we'll talk about in a minute here. Uh, certainly it's gotten a lot tougher to go out West unless of course he goes to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, but but point being, I, yeah, I definitely think LeBron James, the LeBron James connection uh, bodes well uh, for Cleveland's chances at landing Dwayne Wade. And a couple of reputable reporters have uh, said that they think that he will go there. Now, you know, take that for what it's worth. But I do think that that I actually think Dwayne Wade will end up in Cleveland when it's all said and done. That's just my hunch. Uh, and, I, and I hope I'm right because, uh, hey, could use all the talent you can get when you're trying to match up with the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think he's coming. I, I, I'm pretty confident in that. Now, the Cavs can offer the least amount of money, but it's not that much when Dwayne Wade is still being paid by the Bulls uh, over $15 million not to play with them. You know, he, he can make uh, a business decision uh, and come to a team that has the best chance of reaching the NBA Finals, which I think if you agree to a buyout with your team as a 35-year-old former superstar in Dwayne Wade, with the Chicago Bulls, who clearly are rebuilding and not re-signing Rondo and trading away Jimmy Butler this offseason, uh, you you agree to that buyout uh, only because you want to play for a contender. Now, I understand the Spurs and Thunder certainly are contenders, and uh, the one of the Banana Boat crew is now on the Thunder, so he uh, might have some reason to go out there. But, man, that is a, a crowded field now with that, that mellow trade. You got three possibly four legit teams out there all vying for that western conference eastern conference uh day by day looks even more easier for the Cavs. and you know i'll throw the celtics in there you got a two-horse race um yeah i think he's coming i mean he he loves playing with lebron lebron loves playing with him they have had some electric playmaking in the past 
uh, despite his age and frailty. I mean, 18.3 points per game last season, 15 points uh, per game against the Boston Celtics. You know, he was pivotal in that first round series in which they almost upset the Celtics in the first round. So he still has some left in the tank. I think he would have a more limited role with the Cavs, obviously, uh, and you know, could still turn on some defensive intensity. He was one of the best defenders in the league in his prime. So I think he would be able to, to ratchet that up if he, uh, given the circumstances and, you know, given the title pursuit that the Cavs are going through. Honestly, I'd be more excited about that than anything else because if you add Dwayne Wade and just keep him in bubble wrap for 82 games, play him like 10 minutes a night, and then unleash him full athleticism in the playoffs, you now have Dwayne Wade, Jay Crowder, and LeBron James. That is a three kind of headed perimeter perimeter defensive monster that could actually match up with Golden State relatively well and that I think is what I'd be most excited about is now instead of just having LeBron James as your only true defender against the Warriors you've got two other guys who can match up with that four-headed insane Mortal Kombat team that can just crush you in a million different ways and, and so like I said that that his defensive ability if he's healthy and fresh uh, certainly is a huge benefit to Cleveland when trying to match up with Golden State yeah and, and throw, throw in Jeff Green in there as well the Cavs got longer and more athletic they didn't get younger uh, but they definitely uh, added pieces that are better suited to give players like the Warriors uh bigger fit uh, defensively so I think Dwayne Wade would would have some ability there uh, as long as he's healthy and that is a big question mark but I'm pretty confident that he's going to come to Cleveland that'll be pretty cool to see Uh, I don't know how it's going to pan out but it'll be cool to see Braun and and D Wade in Cavs uniforms playing some games together Uh, other big news over the weekend uh, Carmelo Anthony finally out of New York the Knicks agreeing to a trade to the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, Russell Westbrook uh, in one offseason gets some reinforcements in Paul George and Carmelo Anthony. Chris, what are you making of that trade, and how does this legitimize the Thunder? Well, first off, now they have two legitimate superstar wings to play with Russell Westbrook. On paper, they certainly should be able to give the Warriors uh, some fits, uh, but that's on paper. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this team meshes because um, look, I, I think Paul George is a nice player who can who can do a lot of different things. Doesn't necessarily need the ball to be effective, but Russell Westbrook has shown that you know he had kind of separate separation anxiety with that basketball when Kevin Durant was getting a lot of touches. Uh, Carmelo Anthony is much more of a black hole than Kevin Durant ever was. I'm going to be curious to see how that operation goes down because there's only one basketball. And both of those guys need to dominate it to be effective. I I think if Carmelo Anthony buys in to his role on Team USA in t- 2008 and channels that kind of ability, then it can be effective if he defers to Russell Westbrook. One of those two is going to have to give in in order for this to work because if both of them are just so centered on having the ball you know, 30, 40 times a game, uh, you know, it's just not going to work, man. I mean, you're, you're not going to be as effective as the Golden State Warriors and they'll run you out of the arena. Yeah, I mean, that's a big if. We, we don't really know what contending Carmelo Anthony looks like. I mean, he they've had spurts with the Knicks and he had flashes with the, with the Nuggets uh, on his first team, but to be on a legitimate superstar-ridden team 
like the Thunder are now, uh, it'll be interesting because I do think he is at this stage of his career, the third best player on that team. Uh, give credit to Paul George and Russell Westbrook heading into their primes and what they've done over the past couple seasons. Uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, I'm not sure if it's going to work out for them. I think they're going to win lots of games. I mean, they the, the credit to the Thunder, they, they made two trades uh, with the Pacers and the Knicks, giving up not a whole lot for two stars. Uh, I'd say Paul George is a legitimate superstar, Melo an aging superstar at this point. Uh, and they didn't have to, to, to empty the vault to get either of those guys. Now both of them are on limited length deals, and Carmelo is guaranteed a gargantuan amount of money over the next two years, but um, it, it, it'll be interesting. It, it'll be really interesting. I'm not sure it's going to pan out the way they want it to, uh, but it certainly will be fun to see those three guys uh, fight over one ball uh, on the same team. I, look, look, I, I will say that the, the sliver is to, one point you made. Paul George and Russell Westbrook are by far the two best players Carmelo Anthony has played with in his career. So this is a new situation for him. And he's shown in the past when he's surrounded by superstars. Now, this is the Olympic basketball, so everyone goes in knowing that it's a star-studded team everyone has to sacrifice. But he showed that he could do that when he played with LeBron and Kobe and all those stars. He showed he could do that for Team USA. If he does that for Oklahoma City, if he relinquishes himself and, and decides to be that third option, this could work beautifully. But... The key, the, the key is someone's going to have to give because these guys, they're, they're, especially Westbrook and Anthony, they're so used to having the ball in their hands. And you saw Westbrook and Durant weren't always on the same page and sometimes a little bit of friction there over who got what touches. Something's going to have to give. There's going to have to be flexibility in order for the Oklahoma City Thunder to, to achieve their full potential. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I think it has to be mellow. Uh, for them to to reach their their greatest height, uh, it'll be uh, really interesting. You know, uh, always that third piece of a big three or even a big four uh, gets a lot of flack. So it'll be interesting how Melo reacts to that and whether it will uh, succeed or, or combust on them. Uh, we will have to see. Uh, Chris, moving on to some college football though. Ohio State taking care of business against UNLV, winning fifty four to twenty one. Uh, despite the the easy victory, they do uh, the Buckeyes do fall a spot in the AP poll, uh, due in part to Georgia and TCU's big wins. Uh, Chris, uh, do you agree with that that drop in the poll and any takeaway you, you, that you're making from the easy victory against UNLV? Uh, first, the the poll drops happen all the time. It's not like they fell ten spots. You know, sometimes you win against a weak team, you get punished because other teams do things. It's not the end of the world. The Buckeyes have enough ranked opponents on their schedule that they can make it up, and there will be enough attrition ahead of them throughout the season that that it's not a big deal right now. And neither is this win against UNLV. I don't care that they beat this team 51-21. In fact, I don't care about Rutgers, Maryland, and Nebraska. Call me in four weeks when they finally play Penn State. But until then, I mean, the, the Buckeyes, I think, are going to cruise into that game. And they have a bye week to prepare for the Nittany Lions at home. So, obviously, schedules uh, – looking favorable for the Buckeyes coming up here. Um, obviously, Nebraska at Nebraska, you don't want to just scoff over them because they're a blue-blooded program, but they're not having a really good year. And, and so I, I think the Buckeyes, um, it's going to be hard for me to really get amped up for a Buckeyes game until they play Penn State. Yeah, I mean, that's the next uh, next big game for them. Um, could be, uh, should probably be at that point a, a top-10 matchup in Penn State. 
uh, ranked number four now could, could be even higher. So that will be uh, definitely a, a marquee game when, when it happens. Yeah, I'm not making any anything of this game other than that they took care of business and other a couple other teams uh, played some marquee matchups against ranked opponents and they got rewarded justly with for uh, moving up in the rankings. And uh, yeah, that, that, that's about it. Now, I don't like this about college football. They're, 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 we say it a lot, but say it again. There's just not a lot of games that I can circle on the schedule and say, yeah, I really got to watch that one because uh, just a lot, a lot of weak schedules out there in general. All righty, man. Well, one thing that's not weak is the Tribe, and they will be in the playoffs next week. Now, what, what their overall seeding will be, we will find out. Hopefully, it's number one in the AL. Hopefully, it's number one overall, but we'll find out next week, and we are certainly super pumped to talk Tribe playoffs. No matter what happens this week, they're going. Hopefully, it'll be a nice journey. Hopefully, it'll be a little bit funner than it was last year just just a little it was great last year but you just needed a little extra extra to get that world series championship but until then you can catch up on all our old episodes of clee talk at fenleyroadsports.com just click through the archives and listen away or you can sign up on itunes subscribe to us on itunes by searching fenley road sports click clee talk it's just that simple we also have a nice little button in the upper right hand corner of fenleyroadsports.com you can also find us on social media by searching fenley road sports on twitter or instagram two other icons up in the upper right hand corner for your convenience we thank you for your support hope you come back next week for another episode of clee talk presented by fenley road sports We'll be talking Tribe and all the playoff permutations. But until then, go Tribe. See you, Chris. Go Tribe. Take it easy, Bob. And happy birthday. Thanks, man.